Good evening and welcome to the Marionette Theater. Please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Good evening, Toppy. And uh, it is uh, the beginning of May now. Mother's Day is this weekend. Uh, believe it or not, that took me a little bit by surprise. I got to tell you, <laughs> I, I just didn't expect it. I mean, I knew it was in May, but I mean, doesn't it? It's like kind of early. This I don't know what happened, but it took me by surprise. I, um, I you know, I know that uh, Hubby was scrambling to find a card. And of course, since he works in the wonderful world of retail, uh, he doesn't actually get the holiday off. But... No, I'll be working that day, too. Oh, okay. No. But, um, you know, we, we've got an in lieu of date uh, set up with Mama Billy, so hopefully we'll be able to get together to have lunch. But it's also spring, so yeah, yeah. have you already started doing your uh, diligent duty there of mowing the lawn? Oh, yeah. Um, let's see. I've mowed it twice so far. And you know what happens once you mow it. It's like <laughs> it, the, the grass just says, yeah, I'm going to grow like five times faster now. <laughs> and so, yeah, I got them. Uh, I've mowed it twice and it's due like I, I need to do it like tomorrow if I can. Hey, we, we thought we had that problem licked last year when we replaced our septic system. We planted clover because... Well, all the research said you don't have to mow this, but the reality is that it takes a little while before it's strong enough to push the weeds out. So, yeah, we're mowing too, but it's because the weeds have grown like wildfire. <laughs> sure, it's tricky. It's tricky. Lawns are tricky. No mm. doubt about it. Well, and uh, it is the first Friday of the month, so... You know, we're, we're tiptoeing towards the warmer months and, uh, mm -hmm. I, you know, it's, it's, it's been a little cool lately, but I hear that the warmer days are coming and uh, we've been getting some spritzing, which has helped because we've done some planting here at Chateau Star Sage. That's we, what I hear. That's what I hear. Yeah. We put some things in the ground and um, the neighbors are glad that we're making an effort. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Well, good for them. Hey, uh, uh, Gertie? Yeah? Um, are you ready to do the intro? I've been waiting. Oh, okay. Okay, she's been waiting. Uh, well, uh, Gertie, get yourself down there, and uh, let's introduce this little shoe tonight. Okay, fine. I'm ready. Be, be careful about your drink, ma'am. Don't spill it on the stairs again. Okay, okay, whatever. Just do it. Oh boy, okay. Rim is a young girl about to enter her teens. She's starting over in America with her father, the poet. One evening, she's celebrating her birthday at home when a knock comes at the door. It's Halloween and she's all alone. Or is she? Over the next few days, the landlady keeps dropping by and sticking her nose where it doesn't belong. She's looking for answers, and she just might get some. Cozy up to the fire and slip on your favorite caftan. I hope you like tea. It's the cookies that make it taste like almonds. It's time for Jody Foster in The Little Girl who lives down the lane. Hit it, boys! What do you get when you take a dash of the silver screen? A pinch of golden oldies? And a smidgen of screaming? It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Tommy. Yes, indeedy. It's uh, time for that show about film and television trivia. And tonight here at the Marionette, we are taking a trip back to the 70s and the uh, era of the Bicentennial. That's right, 1976. DJ set the stage for us what was going on in the wild in 1976. 
Alrighty, so the uh, U.S. history in 1976, quite a year. The Lutz family flees their home. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> Talk about creepy Lutz family. Oh, they no. Their, they fleed their home in Amityville, Long Island, 28 days after having moved in. Oh, they must have found out they owed taxes. Uh, get to the, out. Get <laughs> out. Leading to the story of the Amityville horror. Yes. Also in 76, Clifford Alexander Jr. Who was he? Well, he was confirmed as the first african-american secretary of the united states army yay equality uh first the uh, the first 4.6 miles of the washington metro subway system opened so you could take the train to oh. work starting then holy cow yeah the 48th academy awards well it may have been the 48th but it was the first to be broadcast on television in 76. in 76 also conrail you may not know about this it was sort of the precursor to amtrak yeah. it stood for consolidated rails corporation it has a fondness in our family because uh, grandpa he retired from the railroad ah well, uh, it was formed by the U.S. government in 76, and it took control of 13 major Northeast railroads that had filed for bankruptcy, basically after the highway uh, system was built. The uh, American public had less use for the train, so uh, they all bundled together into Conrail. And uh, let's see, it operated as a government-owned and operated railroad until 1986, which... yeah led to Amtrak. You know, DJ, uh, when I play Monopoly, mm -hmm. I love to own the utilities and the railroads. I just do. I don't care about Park Place. I just want to own the railroads and the utility waterworks or the electric light anyways whatever okay. well you know monopoly was the original in statement of that pokemon phrase you gotta catch them all <laughs> right so uh let's see apple computer company part of my childhood that was formed by steve jobs and steve wozniak of course they uh helped uh, american schools get their first computers because they were they were generous with the discounts uh Flights aboard the Concord, that fancy of all first class uh, ships. Yeah. They began operating from DC starting in 76. So your senators yeah. and elected officials, they could just ride the rocket overseas now. Right. Now that was like, it was like the Concord was like, it was just super fast, right? Yeah. It, it was, was just like fast. They called it supersonic because uh, just like the, the jets in the Air Force, they had a boom when they took off, which is part of why they're not around anymore today. But uh, Ooh. anyways, also in 76, the first class of women, all women, was inducted at the United States Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. Yay, Naval Academy. Good for you. Yeah, and then rounding the important events of 76, Jimmy Carter defeated incumbent Gerald Ford and became the first candidate from the Deep South to win the presidency since the Civil War. Uh, good for you, Jimmy. Is, he's he's still going. Isn't that something? He he's is in building houses. He's still going. It's amazing. So we had some celebrity bursts that we know of in 76. Uh, we're going to start with Danny Pintaro. He was on uh, Who's the Boss? Then there's Reese Witherspoon. Uh, she was in Pleasantville and Legally Blonde. She was born that year. Melissa Joan Hart. Uh, Clarissa Explains It All. And Sabrina the Teenage Rich, uh, Witch. Uh, she was born that year. So was Joey Lawrence. Uh, he was in Blossom. And... Uh, Oh, what is this called? Uh, uh, Melissa and Joey. Mm -hmm. Now, do you remember what Joey Lawrence was famous for saying on TV? No, what? Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> that was it? Yeah, that was his catchphrase on Blossom. He was the cool kid. He said, whoa! Okay. Well, you know, I mean, you know, maybe that's all you need to get famous. Uh, so, uh, let's see who else did we have born that year? Uh, we had, uh, Soleil Moon Fry. <laughs> uh, 
who I've never heard of in my life. She was on Punky Brewster. Okay, now I've heard of her, Alicia Silverstone. She was in Clueless and Blast from the Past, all born in 1976. Now, DJ, mm-hmm. so a little girl who lives down the lane comes out mm-hmm. in the theaters. Mm-hmm. And who who did it have to compete with? Who who? What else was coming out in 1976 oh. in the movies? Well, that's a very good question, sir. Now, the little girl who lives down the lane actually made its premiere the year before at the Cannes Film Festival in France. Oh. Oh. Which is quite interesting because uh, as we get a little further along here, you'll know that uh, Jodie Foster, the star of the film, has a fondness for the French language. But uh, in 76, uh, the other films that were out in America's uh, theaters, the top three consisted of Rocky with Sylvester Stallone. Oh. The first one it brought in $117 million. Now, keeping in mind the, these um, these films from then, this was not adjusted for inflation. So, in seventies money, this made one hundred and seventeen million. So, think of it today, probably double that. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, runner up to that was a film called To Fly. Now, uh, don't worry if you've never heard of it. It was I a haven't. Doc- <laughs> I have not heard of this. It was a documentary, but it did quite well. In fact. It was the first one for the Smithsonian's National Air and Space Museum. Huh. And it uh, it chronicled the history of flight then. So uh, it, w- it was a documentary? Was that what it was? And it was it just... was, yeah. So you got to learn about famous people in history that contributed towards uh, <clears throat> manned flight. All right. I know the next one, A Star is Born. Yes. Now, uh, some people think that this was a remake and that suggests this is the first one no 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 the original that some people think is the original the judy garland one that was actually the first remake so this is the second remake but a star is born in 76 with chris christopherson hubba hubba and barbara streisand brought in 63 million that year yeah it's actually the third third remake yes there was one there was one before before the James Mason one, there was one before. Oh. Even earlier. Anyways, go ahead. Okay. And, uh, you know, since we tend to like the underdog, um, we're not quite sure where Little Girl Who Lives Down the Lane sat because it was it was more of a, an art-style film. But, uh, you know, the things that were at the bottom of the rung, uh, well, that included Logan's Run, a personal Aww, favorite. It was bottom of the rung? Yeah, well, it was in, you know, the top 20 or so. So, But um, it uh, had 20, it brought in 25 million. It starred Michael York. Now, here's a film that some of you uh, may just be intrigued to catch by the name. Probably couldn't be made these days, but it's called Mother Jugs and Speed. I remember that. <laughs> oh, it just it involved the uh, an ambulance service. Let's just and Bill say. Cosby and Raquel Welch, which I remember and as a- Larry Hagman. <laughs> <laughs> I remember as a kid, my brother used to get teased that Raquel Welch was his girlfriend. Oh, uh, sure. And sure. Um, the the bottom of the box office in 76 was a film with Karen Black and Barbara Harris. Family plot. I love it. 13 million. It was an Alfred Hitchcock film. It was his last movie. And mm, certainly not his best, but... You know, if you got to go out with the family plot, it's not too bad. Mm-hmm. So the little girl who lives down the lane uh, is based on a 1974 novel by Laird Koenig. And he's actually the guy that developed it into a screenplay. So he based it on his own novel. And it's basically about a 13-year-old girl named Rin Jacobs who lives alone in a house and murders people who threaten her solitary life. That's the novel, folks. Not exactly the movie. Uh, It was changed a bit, um, as we'll discuss further. Uh, But uh, it was directed by Nicholas Gesner, and he's a Hungarian-born filmmaker. 
he worked mostly in France and his movies are often characterized by, well, he did strange, quirky things, atmospheric movies, and usually had a mix of French and international actors. They were kind of eccentric. And after the 1980s, mostly this director would work uh, in television. Um, and as far as the little girl who lives down the lane, it was kind of an international affair. It was done in Canada and it was kind of a, a weird French, English, Canada <laughs> uh uh, they all backed it somehow it was an international thing so there you go we have a bunch of folks that came together to make this film all the talent that lined up and uh we're gonna go ahead and start off with the leading lady miss jody foster now she was only 13 when this was filmed and so she was basically playing the same age as her character jody was born in los angeles and began acting at the tender age of seven she she did a few commercials and for a while there i think it was uh crest that she was a uh um, a star for i think her her father might have been a dentist but uh anyways her first film was napoleon and samantha film in 72 so just a handful of years before the little girl who lives down the lane and that starred michael douglas and will gear who of course some of you may remember from the waltons as grandpa and uh, hi grandpa man <laughs> jody was injured by a lion during the filming of napoleon and samantha Japers. yeah and she still bears the scars to this day which um Makes me wonder some of the films I've seen her in, if that was makeup or her real scars. The little girl who lives down the lane was her ninth film. And she would star in six films over the next five years, leading from 76. To date, Jodie Foster has 81 acting credits. She received two Oscars before she was even 30. And in more recent years, she uh, she prefers to be behind the camera. And uh, one of my favorite films for the holidays stars Holly Hunter. And I've heard Auntie Vera talk fondly about it before. Um, Home for the Holidays is actually one of the films that Jodie Foster directed. And we had a watch party for that last fall. Yeah, and I got to admit, I really liked it. Really liked it. That was that was that was good that was good it was one of ann bancroft's last roles too yeah so who do we have coming uh, behind jody here on the cast sir so we got martin sheen now he comes in as a real creepy character right away very intrusive and uh, Martin Sheen was born in Ohio. Uh, he did a lot of his early acting on television. And uh, uh, he, you, he, there's this wonderful movie in 1967 called The Incident. And it was uh, an independently black and white movie that had Bo Bridges and Brock Peters and even... Ed McMahon is in this goddamn movie, <laughs> The Incident, 1967. And um, Martin Sheen was in it. Now, by the time he did The Little Girl Lives Down the Lane, that was his 11th film. He's very young. I mean, when, you know, when you take a look at Martin Sheen, it's like, wow, man, you're young in this movie. Uh, but he would star in, in over five films over the next five years and most recently i think really wonderfully martin sheen has been co-starring along with jane fonda and lily lily tomlin in grace and frankie that's been going on real recently um he was also famously on the west wing that started in 1999 personal favorite yeah, he was nominated for the damn Emmy six times 
for his role as President Josiah Bartlett. How about that? I mean, jeepers. And he won a, a hell of a lot of uh, Golden Globe nominations. He, he's won eight of them, as a matter of fact. Martin Sheen is a very active uh, individual. Uh, when he's not on stage or performing in a film, he's very active in um, political and social issues. So over the course of his career, he's been arrested more than 70 times for supporting oh, okay. liberal issues. And I can't not mention Apocalypse Now, which was that crazy, crazy movie he was in. And he had a heart attack during the production. And in Hollywood, in the stories of movies and how they were made, well, you just got, you just got to read up on how Apocalypse Now was made. It's one of those weirdo seriously weird movies but let's get into uh the little girl the little girl who lived down the lane now dj you are a super fan of jodie foster i am um in fact i do recall that the first movie that i owned on dvd yes i had a vcr you know when i moved out on my own i'm i'm not quite uh you know in that class but when i finally got a dvd player contact with jodie foster which of course was adapted from the carl sagan novel was my first movie on disc oh okay yeah <laughs> but uh you know some of her other films that are uh near and dear to my heart are of course candle shoe that she did uh shortly after the little girl who lives down the lane and of course she's in that with helen hayes and david niven i mean how can you not see that movie <laughs> dj i still haven't seen it oh I know. well you know we the uh, uh the the crud is clearing from the air and i do hear that the highway to the chateau is uh, becoming available. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe the, on the big screen uh, at the chateau stars age, you'll be able to draw the big screen down. I might be able. To I see do it. believe so. We'll do a lifestyles of the rich and famous style. So um, before we continue on with the, the the last person in the cast here, Toppy, we are about halfway through our show here. In my pursuit of interviews uh, with the cast, uh, I, I didn't turn up much, but I did find something from just a handful of years after the little girl who lives down the lane. And uh, this is an interview with the McNeil Lair News Hour. Of course, that's... Uh, a staple of PBS, and this was uh, recorded in I'd want to say seventy nine. That sounds about right. Sixteen. So here we what go. I what I like about this is that this shows. Okay, she had an extensive career in Hollywood already, but she went ahead and got an education. She went to college, and. She speaks of all this, and I think it just speaks to her desire to be more, to just educate herself. I guess that's what I'm saying. So go ahead and play that. Okay, the McNeil Lair News Hour. Jodie Foster has been acting 14 of her 17 years, but she goes to school just the same. Jodie attends a lycée where all classes are taught in French. My mother chose for me very young because I was in a public school and I was uh, a little bit ahead of the classes and I had always had a, uh, an ear for languages and so um, I just went into that one because I could have I could pick up my studies anywhere in the world because there are uh, lycées everywhere. Jody graduates from the French speaking school in June. What would that be the equivalent to in American education then? Well I suppose it would be equivalent to like uh, the first years or the two years of of uh, college, because all, all the courses that are being taught me are college courses that are only offered in, in American colleges, not in the American high school system. But um, of course, I'll be going in as I'll be going in as a freshman when I go into college anyway. And where will you go to college? I don't know yet. I'm, I've applied east, back east, Ivy Leagues, and I'm waiting for to hear from them. Schools like Yale, Harvard, places like that. Yeah. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. And what would you like to study there? Probably writing literature, 
uh, I don't know. You know, everybody goes into college and they say, well, uh, I'm going to be a writer. And then they get their first D on their first term paper and they decide to be a biologist or something. So I don't know. Um, I'd like to go in for that. And then if I change my mind, I will. Her ultimate goal is to write and direct movies. But that doesn't mean she'll give up acting. Jodie Foster loves her life. Even though she has worked since she was three, she doesn't feel she has missed anything. On the contrary... I missed all the bad things, really. I missed all the pimples and insecurities and, oh, what am I going to do? He doesn't like me. You know, I missed, I missed all the, the bad things about growing up, really. Do you have a steady boyfriend? No. <laughs> no. I don't have time. <laughs> and I suppose I don't think about it very much. What kind of fellow would you like, really, when, when you do have time to get around to that? Huh. I don't know. Uh, I suppose I would like somebody who understood my business and who would be able to understand that when someone, uh, when you're on, on camera and someone comes up to you and says, Jody, you're beautiful, that it doesn't mean anything, that it's just uh, what you say. For all her schooling, Jody has never studied acting. But working 13 years with some of Hollywood's finest actors and directors has been the best kind of coaching. Who are the actors or actresses that you look at and say, wow, that's the kind of actor I'd like to be? Well, I think Robert De Niro is the best actor now in the world, uh, the most versatile, and he has more to say. And uh, I don't think there's anyone that could, that could equal him, but uh, as far as uh, female actresses, I, I guess... Uh, I like, uh, I think Ellen Burstyn is very good also. I love Ellen Burstyn. Catherine Hepburn, you know, when you're young, Catherine Hepburn. All righty. So um, just before we continue discussing the story itself, I can't help but mention the grand dame of this film. And she's only in a couple of scenes. Miss Alexis Smith. Yeah. She was born in British Columbia, Canada. And uh, she had a celebrated career well before the little girl who lives down the lane. She began acting in the 40s. She was signed by Warner Brothers after being seen in a college drama production. And she was subsequently billed as the Dynamite Girl and the Flame Girl in promotional articles. She had 18 roles just in her first five years of acting some of them uncredited. Uh, during the height of her career, she co-starred with the likes of Errol Flynn, Charles Boyer, Cole Porter, Humphrey Bogart, and Clark Gable. What a lucky lady. In yeah. Smith's films, just prior to Little Girl was Once Is Not Enough, a film in 75, which starred Kirk Douglas, George Hamilton, and your favorite, Brenda Vaccaro. I love Brenda. I'm Brenda Vaccaro. Hello, I'm Brenda Vaccaro. Hello. <laughs> By the 80s, Smith worked primarily in television, and towards the end of her career, she had a series of 11, yes, 11, guest appearances as the matriarch Miss Ellie's unstable sister-in-law, Lady Jessica Monford. So she got to be the the crazy B word on a soap opera. Uh -huh. And uh, sadly, uh, Alexis Smith, she passed away in 93 at the age oh. of 72 after battling brain cancer. Well, I think she was excellent in this movie. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. I saw this. Oh, it was af. It was not in the theater. I, I saw it on television some years after it had been released and i was just sitting there watching this thing and being pretty enthralled and like ew 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 <laughs> as i watched mm -hmm. it and i've always remembered it just somehow fondly like it was just kind of a creepy little thing and i just always remembered it and i watched it very recently for the probably for the first time since I saw it on television way back when. And I thought, mm, it mostly holds up. Eh, mostly. And <laughs> I thought, yeah, still, this is kind of a little, this is kind of a little gem. Um, DJ, what, uh, you saw it, I think, for the first time recently what did you think i did and uh i i'm i have a fondness that's growing for films of this era 
because of course um you know this is a time when we we didn't have movie channels and people weren't glued to their tvs and they still had to have the antennas so you know scenes in stories like this don't um you know um surround they don't they they're not uh focused upon you know somebody sitting on the couch and watching tv they're actually having conversations and so um you know the beginning of the story is is right there on halloween and she's a fish out of water you know she doesn't know that this is a holiday here she just knows that it's her birthday and then the strange man comes knocking on her door who ends up being the landlady's son but um overall I enjoyed this film for many different reasons, mostly because you didn't know what to expect. You go into it thinking, okay, this is a kid who may or may not be at home alone or by herself. You know, where where is this going to go? Does she know how to take care of herself? Does she get intimidated when the adults come around? And it's uh, fairly clear early on that she can handle her own. I mean... You, you just see the landlady coming in and putting her nose where it doesn't belong. And she just calls her out. She says, this is my house. Yeah. That's one of the most memorable things to me was the sense of intrusion. Uh, I think right from the beginning titles were introduced to uh, Rin uh, and the music is sympathetic, and I, th I think we're immediately liking her. And then at the very beginning of the damn movie, Martin Sheen in intrudes on Halloween night abruptly, and like you just like, holy Jesus, Martin Sheen. God, you're a jerk, and also you're a perv, but also this is such a, an intrusion. And then in subsequent scenes, there's more intrusions, and you just feel, I felt anyways, like, damn, these people are just intruding on our life. I didn't like it, and I was very sympathetic to her character. And uh, interestingly enough, an oddball character um, comes into her life, and I'm trying to think of his name. Mar oh, um, I, I'll give you a big hint. It's a video game character that Nintendo oh, Mario. <laughs> yeah, Mario comes into her life rather accidentally, but Mario is also on the outskirts of this community i mean i can speak from experience what does he do for a hobby or whatever he's <laughs> he does magic shows for children hello i'm raising my hand i did that <laughs> yes that means you're a complete outcast and nerd just saying but anyways mario is immediately likable and and he kind of gets caught up into the story of the strange girl who lives in the house at the end of the lane. And you really wind up rooting for them. They, they begin a very likable relationship. And, you know, it, it, it doesn't start out real solid but eventually they win over each other and they begin to work together to solve uh, Rin's problems and it's very likable it's a very nice natural relationship that starts out and I really liked it what did you think you know um you you pointed out that he's sort of an outsider and they end up finding out that they they kind of have things in common you know they're they're both kind of off the radar in a sense but in the same way though uh rin she's an outsider because uh you know as i was saying she's a fish out of water quite literally she she comes to 
you know, the, the America from England with her father. So you, you get the idea that something has happened that they're starting over. But of course, the uh, the part that's told in the story in the beginning is just that her father is a, a writer. So of course, naturally, you just assume that a writer will seek inspiration. So they're just going to travel. But we learn something has happened that's caused them to need to travel. So she's starting over. And uh, in, in the same way that Mario is sort of an outsider because he, he stands out, he's, he's odd, because, uh, well, he, he actually survived polio in, in, a, in a, yeah. a sad twist of fate. Right. So that's another reason he's sort of like looked at as a strange person. He has a, uh, he, he has a limp. He, he, he needs to have a cane. Uh, and it's it's just another reason that he's sort of looked at as like, oh, that's Mario, the you know the oddball. He does mm. magic shows and he he's gimpy. Yeah. No one would suspect they what they say. Um, uh, it's always the quiet ones. <laughs> kind of. But uh, you know, um, she meets Mario. And uh, it puts things into perspective because the landlady who was one of the first people to intrude upon her is, uh, you know, she's no stranger to expressing her opinions. Yeah. She's, you know, she's nosing through her things. Rin is listening oh. to a record of, I think it's Hebrew at the time. Yes. And she, you know, she says, well, one would think that French might be, you know, more useful around these parts kind of thing. And, yeah, you know, real you, racist, uh, <laughs> racist uh, viewpoint there. Mm -hmm. um, also, um, uh, she she notices like the music rin listens to she she picks up like a record say oh you're listening to this it's like chopin you know it's like sophisticated music and then this mm -hmm. confuses her it's like what are you doing listening to this you're just a young girl right and then uh, we we learn that those opinions carry even further because the uh, the young man that she meets Mario well he's the nephew of the policeman and of course with a name like Migliari he's Italian and uh, you know the, the the busybody in town the landlady she doesn't have much use for him <laughs> no because he gets a little too close to the truth as we learn uh, you know Martin Sheen's character the creepy son of the landlady. He's he's uh, he's uh, grown a reputation in town, and uh, yeah. And let's just say Martin Sheen makes the creepy happen. From the get-go, from his first appearance, where he just intrudes upon Jodie Foster and barges into the room on Halloween night. I mean, he's just immediately, you just feel like you shouldn't be here. That's mm -hmm. how you feel. That's how you feel. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but if it was my birthday and a stranger has invited themselves into my home, I don't care, you know, who your mother is or what your position is in the town. I'm not giving you a piece of my birthday cake but she does <laughs> just just to kind of push him away get yeah, out of here yeah, take your yeah, cake and go yeah. home <laughs> it's a desperate thing she doesn't have any treats to give the kids for halloween but coincidentally she had made this birthday cake for herself complete with candles burning and so she cuts two slices out and wraps them up for this pervs kids <laughs> and geez, I mean, and the, in one of the next scenes, he's in a car with his door open on a pathway where Rin has to walk. And it's like, you freaking perv. And she just gives him a wide berth and ignores him. And you just know this isn't the end of it. This is going to go on. 
You know, and I think that one of my favorite scenes, although I really enjoy the character interactions, you know, when when Rin tells the landlady, this is my house and she puts yeah. it in place. My other favorite scene involves Rin going to I think it was maybe the town hall or the library yes. and, you know, um, uh, Mrs. Hallett, the landlady, basically says that uh, she's going to do something about this little girl who's all by herself and she's old enough to be in school, but she's not. So she tells the little girl that, you know, she's on the school board. OK, well, you know, maybe that's the first white lie. And then she tells her that there's a meeting. And so Rin decides that she's going to find out when does the school board mean, uh, right. meet? And that's just a, such a terrific scene because Jody's got this look on her face and she's like, you're a liar, Mrs. Hallett. <laughs> yeah, she knows. She knows that she's been lying. And that's a wonderful portrayal because we're shown all over the place in various ways that Jodie Foster's character of Marin, she's a little more, I mean... She's a little more intelligent beyond her years. She's listening to sophisticated music. She's reading sophisticated poetry. We know that she's got some smarts. However, she came across them, maybe because of her father, maybe because she had a hard upbringing. And, and she's fiercely, fiercely independent. Um, but she's got some smarts. Part of the reason why it becomes endearing is that with all the smarts she's got, she runs into trouble and Mario helps her out. And at one point in an intimate scene, she says, Mario, I, I, I didn't know how much I needed you because Mario bails her out mm -hmm. on a couple, couple, three major things. And she says, finally, you know, I, I didn't know how much I needed you. And she really did. I mean, she really mm -hmm. did, did need him. Of course, it doesn't hurt to, uh, to know that he's the policeman's nephew. <laughs> right. Which is kind of, kind of a semi-comical kind of thing. There's a nice relationship there. The, the, the police guy was it mario's uncle right mm -hmm. yeah. yeah he he decides because he knows this martin sheen guy is a perv in fact you know everybody does but for whatever reason nothing he's never persecuted or you know but they know about him and uh, uh this police guy just says, you know what? I'm I'm just gonna stop by every once in a while and see how you're doing, and uh, uh, and yet even he's not convinced that she's living there with her father. In fact, what happens when he he does make a visit, and he's just very doubtful at this point. I I just don't think you're really living here with your father i think you're really living here by yourself mm -hmm. and down the stairs comes <laughs> rin's father <laughs> yeah and who is it really Oh, well, spoiler folks here, you know, 1976 calling <laughs> uh, the policeman's nephew, Mario, the the master of the sleight of hand has decided he's going to help Rin out in this little trouble she's got. And uh, yeah. he becomes Rin's father for a uh, appearance on yeah. the stairs. Yeah, because he's this, you know, he's this guy, he's this kid that does magic shows. What are his other interests? Interests? Makeup, uh, uh, cinema, magic. Uh, and he he knows how to make himself up to make himself look like maybe Ren's father. And um, TJ, I got to ask you, this is boiling on on spoilers but cheese mm. creepers this is an <laughs> old movie 
<laughs> DJ, when you were watching the end of this movie mm-hmm. and the noises came in when Rin went to bed that last night. <laughs> You're sipping that tea. Uh, uh, good for you. And uh, that trap door opened. The trap door that has several scenes in the movie, the trap door opens and the silhouette of a top hat and cape comes out. I really, I really want to know when you saw that, what did you what did you think? I honestly thought that it was Mario that had okay. snuck in. Well, I yeah, and then like all at once you realize it's not Mario. Mm. I thought that was an awesome that was that was a great key moment in the movie. You realize I mean- it's not her friend. It's the <laughs> damn her. Yeah, I mean, uh, for a moment, I wondered how could it be someone other than Mario? He's got the, you know, the hat and the coat. But then I realized that Mario had helped her in the rain and had, you know, caught a cold. And so those clothes had to have been somewhere else besides with Mario because she helped him change out of them. So... That got the old gears turning for a moment there, but that that was quite a frightful scene when the mysterious figure came up through the steps. And of course, uh, that's where we last saw the landlady. Right. So I learned that um, at some point, uh, I think in between the writer uh, writing the novel and then translating it into... A movie he originally was thinking of okay i've got my novel you know it's it's kind of popular i want to he originally thought i want to make this into a stage play that's what he wanted to do mm-hmm. and when you think of the movie and you look at it um most 95 uh, percent of the movie takes place on kind of this one set which is the interior of the house where Jodie Foster lives right and um and it and 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 you can kind of see like hey yeah I could totally see how this movie was a play first but it wasn't it became a movie and then much later uh they tried to make a play out of it and i don't i really can't tell if it ever went anywhere i don't think it ever came on broadway or anything but they after the movie they did try to make it into a stage play and actually that was kind of originally how it was written and you can tell watching this movie that yeah like you know practically everything is in this one set um, so that's interesting, and um, and I, I think that part where the trapdoor opens at the end and the silhouette of what we think is Mario with his top hat and cape, mm-hmm. I can so see how that would be absolutely terrific on stage live. That would be. Man, that would be a gas. That would be a great scene on stage live. Right, because, you know, who knows that it may not have been Mario. It could have been her father. (laughs) For who who knows what. Mm -hmm. Um, I really like this movie, DJ. I kind of thought, "Mm," when I saw it again for the first time, I furtively thought, hmm, don't know if it holds up but i finished watching the movie and i thought mm, i kind of still like it a lot uh your your general feelings i i like any movie that keeps me guessing and certainly the characters that are in this story do just that you don't know where people's loyalties are. You don't know what their connections are. And it's through the scenes and the conversations where you realize, oh, 
Yeah, well, the landlady, she doesn't like the policeman. But is it because she's racist or is there another reason? Mm. And of course, you know, it might be both. And um, I, I certainly appreciated the story for the fact that it, um, it, it points that out that, um, you know, you, you take things for granted. You think, oh, this is just a helpless girl who's living on her own. No, she's not helpless at all. <laughs> yeah. She has some smarts. She's cracked a few books. Um, you know, granted, she could probably only carry this ruse on for a while longer. But as you learn in the beginning, they've got a three-year lease on the house. So that had to have been at least her original plan. Because before everything happened, she and her father had a plan set out. He, you know, made a, uh, a a joint account at the bank so that she could draw money on her own and be a miner. Yeah, I kind of got the impression that the intention was that he could somehow keep her because her father. This is what he desired. He 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 didn't want her to go to school. He didn't. He wanted her to stay independent, and he rigged up before his demise uh, that he knew was coming he he wanted to set her up so that she could live independently and not have to go to school and not uh because her independence uh was super important to her and and that's why later when these intrusive people come into her life we just feel along with her like what are you doing bothering me this is my house <laughs> mm -hmm. so um i i still really like it uh, dj if you had you know recommend something that was like this that mm -hmm. maybe people who saw this movie maybe they'd like this what would you recommend Sure. Now, this is what we call our snack tray. Anything you might like if you enjoyed The Little Girl Who Lives Down the Lane, which, uh, if you're curious, we have caught it recently on Amazon Prime Video. So if you already have a membership, you could see it for free. Uh, well, something I think might be uh, to your liking if you enjoyed this is a film that was adapted from a Stephen King novel. Here's the creep factor. And uh, this came out in 95. It's got one of my favorites, Kathy Bates. And it also has Jennifer Jason Lee in it. And this was Dolores Claiborne. Now, this is also set in New England. Uh, little girl who lives down the lane was in a sleepy little town in Maine. But in Dolores Claiborne, it's about a big city reporter who travels to the small town where her mother has been arrested for the murder of an elderly woman that she works for as a maid. And, uh, you know, as small towns are, are one to have, uh, there's, there's a whole bunch of drama that you, uh, you later learn as you get into the story. Uh, very good. I think that's an excellent, that, that, uh, well, in, 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 Little girl lives down the lane. There's, there's the way that intrusive woman is hit on the head with the trap door, you know, and and that basically kills her. It's an accident, but in the same way in Dolores Claiborne, we're never sure until the end. Did that woman fall down the stairs, or was she pushed down the stairs? So mm -hmm. I, I like that comparison. That's nice. So I was going to recommend um, a movie that came out a bit before The Little Girl Lives Down the Lane. It, and it's a movie that we've already done on this very show. It's called You Like My Mother with Patty Duke. And uh, it, it's just similar in tone and mystery and gothic effect. So we've already covered that, but uh, if you haven't seen You Like My Mother and you liked The Little Girl Who Lives Down the Lane, I, I think you'll like You'll Like My Mother. <laughs> and also, the very same year that Jodie Foster did this movie, you'll uh, 
little girl lives down the lane. She did taxi driver for heaven sakes. Uh, talk about a role. She was freaking nominated for an Oscar in 1976 for that movie. Um, and also way later on in 1997, she did a little movie called Contact that I dearly love. And if you wanted to see a more mature uh, Jodie Foster in a really good movie, I recommend Contact. Um, and, uh, you know, how, how could I not mention uh, freaking Silence of the Lambs? For heaven's <laughs> sakes. Uh, so I, I, I just couldn't limit it to one, DJ. Just couldn't limit it to one. So uh, uh, why don't we uh, haul out that uh, gumball machine? Okay. Uh, we're going to grab our bag of coins here. We have a celebrated history at the Marionette. We've been a venue for many a splendid thing. We were once a venue for vaudeville and, of course, magic shows. So here is a coin that we're going to drop in. There you go. Okay, hand that over to me, Toppy. There you go. What do you say? What's our next thing? Alrighty. So this is a TV series that uh, came out when was this in 1983 yes that's a long time ago (laughs) and uh, it has a a cast of many but uh an 80s celebrity on his own right mr mark singer yay and uh this is when aliens come to earth to ask for our help a few suspicious humans discover their horrific true intentions and prepare to resist. We're yes. going to be discussing V next time on Matinee Minutia. And that's going to be on Friday, May 21st, here at 9 p.m. Eastern. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, V, uh, that's the name, if you didn't, uh, if you didn't hear exactly, and it stood for the visitors. That, that was the name the alien race came and that was first a miniseries and then they did a sequel miniseries then it became a tv series we'll be talking about all this all of that uh but let's just uh remember mark singer's pecs and we'll be fine (laughs) i just remember when i was a kid this was the tv show where people tore off their faces and there were lizards (laughs) underneath (laughs) that's right and they ate like rats they would like take these mice and uh, they'd be wriggling up and they'd uh ra- they'd lift their faces up and they'd lower the the mice into their mouths and they'd eat them yeah not, not much unlike martin sheen and the little girl who lives down the lane <laughs> well okay let's yeah there was that hamster we didn't even mention that poor hamster yeah the little girl that lives down the lane that poor hamster yeah that goddamn cigarette from Uh, oh god oh gee trigger warning folks now just so you know in the uh the uh the backstory of that they did have a uh a hamster that had been donated by medical science for the film so no animals were harmed in the making of this film. But, um, you know, when that scene comes up, if you if you are um, an animal lover, you may want to fast forward. Uh, it's perhaps the most disturbing part, and it's how they portray this pedophile as, as just, like, objectionable, like, super, like, you are a bad, bad person. <laughs> Anyways, uh, DJ, this was a wonderful uh, movie we could do. So glad I could do it with you. Yeah, I enjoyed this little visit to the, the 70s with you. It was certainly an enjoyable film. And uh, I got to see one of my favorites in the beginning of her career. There you go. John Lee Foster. 
Yeah. So, Toppy, if you could let us know who joined us this evening. Well, we had a couple people here who've come and gone, but we've got, we had your hubby Billy, he was here, and we have our mainstay main man, Tommy Hash Browns. Thank you for being here. Uh, we had uh, Tim from uh, that podcast called Tastes Like Burning. He was here and probably is still listening. He just isn't showing up in the chat room at the moment. And perhaps others. Uh, there was, uh, who, who else? There was one other. Oh, uh, yeah, an old pal of the mine. Money. Yes, the sir. Money. Okay. Okay, sir. So we're out here at the lobby and we're ready to give the uh, old, uh, good old fashioned goodbye. What did that sweet old couple on the radio say? All right. So you gotta, you gotta ask me, DJ. Uh, you gotta, you gotta say, say good night, Gracie. Say good night, Gracie. Good night, Gracie. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our show streams live the first and third Friday of each month. Go to univazpods.net, click the tower for audio, enter Discord for chat. You can find this show wherever you listen to podcasts. Tweet us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Join our Facebook group. Visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Have an idea for a future show or just want to message us? Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com. Oliver. This has been an Olibug production. I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice. We have a voice. Unique voices in podcasting. Univazpods.net.